0: The hype around COP26, uh, due to take place in Glasgow in November this year, if indeed it does, is palpable. There is immense excitement about the idea that the world's leaders are going to gather under the uh, watchful eye and chairmanship of Boris Johnson and agree a set of targets which they're going to commit to and which are going to deliver a maximum global warming of two degrees and perhaps 1.5. The Americans post-Trump with Biden look more like the Americans under Obama, and a lot of effort has been put in, uh, John Kerry in particular, Biden himself, into getting the Chinese to come up with targets too. So the stage is set, a great triumph The world leaders all agree to a set of targets and, hey, that's climate change well and truly in the being-solved box. If only. This is the approach we've taken for the last 30 years. And so far, it has to be said, it just hasn't worked. The excitement back at Kyoto, the excitement at Copenhagen, The excitement at Durban, the extraordinary hype around uh, Paris have not resulted in a blip in the increase of carbon concentration in the atmosphere. And that's the only number that really matters. Everything else, well, emissions, yes. uh, There are reductions in emissions in Europe and indeed in the United States. But that hasn't stopped the global concentration of carbon marching up two parts per million every single year for the last 30 years, including the year of the great financial crisis, 2007, 2008, and yes, even last year, despite the lockdown during the pandemic. So if this is the route forward, then someone has to explain why COP26 is gonna be different from the whole jamboree which has taken place over the last 30 years. And in case one gets carried away with the idea that Well, you know, this time, despite the disputes over the Uyghurs and the incarceration, despite the allegations about forcible sterilizations and separation from children, despite the saber rattling over Taiwan, despite the militarization of the South China Sea and despite Hong Kong, that this time around, China is going to agree to a credible set, and I stress the word credible, set of targets which are consistent with the two-degree target. Well, you know, there are those who believe that. But let's look at the facts. You know, climate change isn't about what happens in uh, Europe very much, or indeed actually that much about what happens in the United States. In both the trend of emissions is somewhat down. What really matters is what happens in China, India, Africa, and countries like Brazil. So let's take China. So China can make all sorts of credible statements about its intentions, but the reality is really rather different. China has half the world's coal burn and a bit more, it has a thousand coal power stations and it has an increase build of those coal stations which wipes out all the closures of coal in the US and Europe taking place now china is bent on an expansion of its coal burn over the coming decade and so any notion that china is going to peak its emissions by 220 is Highly questionable and, well, who knows what's going to happen by 2060, which is its current target for being, quote, carbon neutral. When it comes to India, the Indian energy minister recently described the ambitions around COP26 as pie in the sky. And pointed out that uh, the West had, and here I mean the US and Europe in particular, had much higher per capita emissions, was responsible for about 80% of the carbon up there in the atmosphere, and uh, it was a bit rich to tell the Indians how they should develop their economies going forward. Then there's Africa and the rapid development in Africa, rapid economic change, Huge population growth, particularly in Nigeria, but across the continent, and the stripping out of a lot of carbon from the soils. And then there's Brazil, cutting down and burning its rainforest and asking the West to pay. So all of that lot, China, India, Africa, Brazil, all of the issues that those countries bring forward need to be solved for COP26 to actually work. And that means a return to the old uh, question of the north-south divide and the provision of very substantial amounts of money from developed, polluting countries of the past to the new, emerging, developing countries of the future. And if you think that's going to happen, well, take a look at the aid budget in Britain which has just been cut by Boris Johnson's government, and note that the US provides 0.3% of GDP in its aid budget. No evidence whatsoever that the scale of fiscal transfers required is actually going to take place. And so what to conclude? Is there a better way? Well, there is a better way, there has to be a better way of addressing these crucial questions about our future. And that's to take unilateralism seriously, but make unilateralism count. The UK, for example, has a unilateral carbon production emissions target, but that doesn't do what the Climate Change Committee claimed it does. It doesn't mean that we're no longer causing climate change. Because, of course, it's easy to close down the steel industry here in the UK. It's easy to close down more of the petrochemicals and refineries. It's possibly easier to close down much of the car industry following Brexit. That gets our emissions down and gets them down quickly. But, of course, we just import the steel, the petrochemicals, the cars and so on instead. And someone else is responsible then for the emissions which are produced for us. So the obvious answer if you want to be unilateral and if you want to form a coalition of the willing is to have a carbon border adjustment and focus on carbon consumption and not just carbon production. That means making sure that we pay fully for the carbon footprint we cause. And the great advantage of a border adjustment, carbon price, is that the country which is producing the goods, exporting them to us, the importers, then confronts at the border, arriving at, say, Southampton docks with a load of uh, Chinese steel, with the challenge to pay the carbon border tax, the tax, taxation, to the UK government, or alternatively come up with their own certificate of exemption by showing that they paid the carbon tax at home domestically, in this case, to the Chinese government. You can see how the incentives work. The coalition of the unilateralists, the willing, make sure they no longer cause climate change and they proliferate carbon taxation because any Chinese exporter is going to prefer to pay to the Chinese government rather than the UK government and the Indian and the Brazilians and so on and so forth. So this isn't a silver bullet, it doesn't solve climate change, but at least it starts the process of making sure that countries like the UK are no longer actually causing more climate change by pretending that because they're reducing their emissions that they're therefore reducing their carbon consumption. So this bottom-up process expanding that coalition of the willing, proliferating carbon pricing around the globe is a much more fruitful prospect than having 30,000 people turn up for a jamboree in Paris or in Glasgow this time around, if indeed they're allowed to do so, uh, given the coronavirus. And what's more, it's credible. It really sticks and counts and makes a difference. And after all, we cannot afford... 30 more wasted years. So by all means, jaw, jaw at Glasgow, but cut the hype and focus much more on the reality, the hard reality that it's you and me as consumers in the developed world, which are responsible through our consumption for causing climate change. And if we want to move from slogans and away from hypocrisy, to actually doing something about climate change, we must pay for all our emissions, whether produced for us in countries like India, Nigeria, Brazil, or, or China, or produced at home, we should face up as the ultimate polluters, and as polluters, we should pay. Thank you.